Hi, good evening. I'm Marshall Price. I'm the Curator of Modern and Contemporary Art here at the National Academy, and welcome. It's wonderful to see you all here this evening for the review panel. Um, before we begin, I'd just like to let you know that uh, we have a few public programs coming up, um, and I invite you all to come and uh, participate in them. On November 5th, Saturday, we will have a symposium celebrating the life of Will Barnett, uh, and I hope you've had a chance to go upstairs and see the exhibition Will Barnett at 100. At 100 years old, Will is still painting just about every day. Um, and now to introduce the moderator of the review panel, uh, David Cohen is publisher and editor at artcritical.com. So with that, I'm going to hand it over to David and we'll get started. Thank you very much indeed, Marshall. And thanks to everybody here at the Academy, to uh, Carmen Brannigan, the executive director of the Academy, and to Amy Zaltzman, uh, who takes particular care of the review panel and um, all aspects of press and publicity uh, with her colleagues here at the National Academy. Thanks to them and to Marshall for making this wonderful program possible. Um, I've already ascertained by show of hands, that some of you uh, have the uh, honor, uh, distinction, of being first-time guests at the review panel. So let me, very succinctly, I hope, tell you what we do. We've all been to see, uh, at least those who are being paid to be here this evening have all been to see uh, four exhibitions, uh, current exhibitions in New York City, um, and we're going to review them by having a quarter of an hour or so's discussion about each show. Um, the way it works is that we have a PowerPoint presentation of the first two shows we're looking at. The panel discusses it among themselves, or itself, I think is the correct grammar. And uh, then we take uh, an opportunity to hear questions and comments uh, from, from the floor. That's you. Um, and then we repeat the exercise with the last two shows. And then we all go home. So, simplicity itself. Now it's my distinct pleasure to introduce this evening's guest panelists. From my far left, your far right, uh, Peter Plagans is a painter and writer who shows at the Nancy Hoffman Gallery. Uh, his book on Bruce Nauman is due out from Feiden uh, late next year. Patricia Milder is an art writer, an independent curator based in Brooklyn. She's the managing art editor of the Brooklyn Rail, regularly contributes to artcritical.com and PAJ, the Journal of Performance and Art, where she's been named recently as a contributing editor. And she has curated performances at Mount Tremper Arts and Participant Inc. And finally, James Panero is the managing editor of the New Criterion and writes about art for several publications. Uh, he was guest curator of the recently closed show Joe Bonham Project at the Storefront Gallery in Bushwick, which apparently received a two thumbs up from the Brooklyn Rail. So, um, no doubt, these uh, representatives of uh, the perennial hipster and the crisply neoconservative culture magazines of New York City will actually <laughs> defy the <coughs> ideological positions that they have no obligation anyway to represent and will forge an even deeper friendship tonight. 
Perhaps. Let's see what happens. So, my last thank you for the evening is to, the, is to my editorial assistants at Art Critical, to Kristen Studioso, who's prepared tonight's PowerPoint, and to uh, Molly Flannery, who's going to project it for us. So, Molly, let's have a look at the first two shows. So, it's curious, isn't it, that we're starting with two shows that, in, 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 in some respects, are of uh, strikingly contrastive touch, sensibility, uh, volume, temperature. Um, but they're both uh, younger uh, women artists who um, present shows which have a minor in sculpture, as it were, and uh, that deal in, in some way or another with invented personages, uh, a sense of narrative, um, and, and a sense of the reinvention of the figure. Um, Peter, to start with Nicola Tyson, um, what do we make of this body of work? I've followed her work for a while, and she's one of my, I probably shouldn't use it, you know, favorite artists. Um, and a long time ago, when I was still at Newsweek, I wrote a piece about three women sort of surrealist artists, and they were up and coming. I don't want to reveal anything, but I don't think Nicola's all that young. I think she's solidly mid-career. Uh, they were Elizabeth Olbert, Lisa Yuskovich, and Nicola Tyson, and my Nicola Tyson was my pick-to-click, which shows you what I know about the art world. Um, because Lisa Yuskovich is selling for millions at auction. Anyway, I'm uh, delaying here. I like her work. This particular show seemed to me to be um, like a really, really good painter operating a little bit stiffly, like on the big stage, like a movie director when a movie director gets a really big budget. There is something kind of hard and arch about the paintings. Um, I thought the best one in the show was the was the figure in the tree, which you know she has these intemperate letters to uh, you know artists that she's written. I haven't seen him perform. Um, I teach a little class at NYU in criticism for undergraduate art history majors, and they reviewed and three of them picked this show, and I meant to plagiarize and bring you know those and pass it off as my own tonight, but I forgot them. Um, that's the etymology of your name? Is it? Yeah, uh -huh. and the, that's a hard G. Uh, yes, that's yes. why I pronounce it with a hard yes. G. Um, and the sculpture, I, I, can't, I haven't figured it out, but there was something really engaging, and I liked it about it. Mm -hmm. But that's a little sort of territory that immediately you go there, and everybody says, de Kooning Clam Diggers and Maduro Rosso, which mm -hmm. is what bounced around in my head. So in the end... I, I, I miss the sort of some of the tentativeness, sorry, of the, mm. of the older paintings. These seem just like she had it locked in, you know? Right, yes. Um, Patricia, are, are you comfortable with a designation of uh, uh, Tyson as a latter-day surrealist? Is that uh, a convenient, uh, useful peg, or um, are these about something very different to you? Um, I mean, I can see, I, I've heard that said before, I don't, I, it doesn't, it's not useful to me personally, but um, I don't know, I had a kind of a different reading of the show just in terms of the sculpture versus the paintings. Um, I think maybe I appreciated 
her the, seeing a great painter make great paintings, and I felt like I, I understand the idea of trying to capture that sketch quality with, with sort of a new medium for her, but actually in both of the shows, I just feel like the three-dimensional, it didn't work for me necessarily, so. Mm -hmm. Or it didn't quite capture um, what she can do in painting. All right, so what can she do in painting? Let's see, I think it goes back to the idea of this sort of the inviting, I mean, if we're not talking about just strictly materials, there's this invitation to a narrative that happens where the paintings, um, it's interesting you call them so polished, but um, they do seem quite open. So you feel like you can kind of exist with them in a way and have a conversation in your mind about what these figures are doing. I mean, they're clearly very beautifully made figures, but they're not complete to me, um, or they're not closed. So I feel like with the sketches in three dimensions, they feel just like only about the material and about what's happening and less about that there's something more to engage with for me. Uh, James, I find them enticingly brittle, actually, as, as, as forms. Um, and then I was slightly disconcerted by the way that sits with the um, again, enticingly um, high-octane colour. But um, uh, did they make much sense to you? Well, uh, the paintings are a little bit like community service murals gone wrong. You know, it's... Uh, she, um, <clears throat> you know, takes these kind of stock images of kids or look like dogs and then kind of goes back in and kind of funks it up, uh, scars it up. Um, mm, that's interesting, maybe, but actually, I want to pick up a little bit on what um, Peter was saying. I think there is a little bit of a problem with the polish of them. They're all uh, seem a little trying a little too hard. There's a little too much, I think, polish in the paint application that goes against uh, that uh, kind of uh, junked up style. I mean, she goes. I don't know if she, this is her line, but it's from the press release that. She, she's looking for a mock sublime mad taste, and I think there's a little bit of a studied madness there rather than true madness. Yeah, I mean, I think it would probably need to be studied, wouldn't it, to, in order to give us such a, a standardized form, um, Peter or, or Patricia, who would ever like to take issue with me, because um, while I was enjoying, I could have enjoyed each painting in the show, um, I did feel that this was a stand. There was a standard issue. Was a, I think there was like one which had a solitary figure, but with a yeah, inscrutable object in it. All the others were pairs, couples. Um, it was couples' evening. Was it? Uh, did it need to be? Did that help? Um, it's interesting. In her letter to Picasso, if you've if you've read her letter to Picasso, she accuses him of the same thing, this sort of standardized look. But I think what she's doing is. Maybe that's more content-based. I don't know. I mean, the, did they need to be couples? I don't understand the, the question necessarily. What, if there's something wrong with having a number of paintings of the same thing or the same two figures, or what? What would yeah? What would it's you a, take it's, issue it's a, with, with I, that? I, I take issue with the um, standardization, the repetition, the um, you know, couldn't we have a different kind of composition? Uh, is there something specific about coupledom? in these paintings, because they didn't seem to be really, they didn't seem to be married couples or, or natural opposites. It just seemed to be, uh, I do, I do uh, uh, 
surreal personages. Uh, there's two in each canvas, and there's bright colours behind. So it, it just seemed to be a product uh, that um, I, I had that, that feeling. Whereas, as I say, each individual one was fine. I think this goes a bit to what I was saying about the polish. The, the study of these works, there's a little bit of a sameness there. Mm-hmm. And in terms of the relationships of the two figures, there was some relationship. There was a, a boy and a girl, or a, you know, a boy and his creepy dog, devil. Um, but did they really stand up on their own as narratives? Not really to me. No, they, they didn't seem like narrative hardly at all. They, they seemed uh, hieratic somewhat. Um, uh, Peter, did, did, you, did, you, did, you, did you find yourself constructing stories to go with each couple? No, I'm usually the last guy in line to, you know, get with the narratives. I'm, it's probably partly of, of, of my aesthetic, you know, basic set, my baseline going out, which is, leans toward formalism. So I'm looking at the paint. Somebody used to say you could always tell painters at an exhibition because they're the ones that go up and kind of try to feel around the back of the canvas to see how it's stretched, you know. Um, so I was looking at things these little things that were either I like. Now, her, her figures themselves, the sort of, and I'll put it in scare quotes, the monstrosity element um, works with me, and I think this is one of those things. If you're, you know, if you have a kind of dour existentialism and that's the way you go, the figures might reach you. You know, and and the the relationship between her and Bacon is 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 obvious. I mean, she takes uh, from Bacon, but there were like little things that bothered me. One of them was the constant her, the the horizon line or the thing between the wall and the floor is absolutely sort of razor sharp. And the other thing, I I don't have the older paintings fresh in my mind. But she does this thing where she has a little line and then the paint kind of comes up to it and she leaves the line and that's what makes all the crinkles and wrinkles. And it is a little bit pat. I wouldn't want to say number painting, but mm-hmm. it, 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 is a little, it is a little bit pat. The figures, though, I, I, I take the point about the... Uh, 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 something I learned here tonight. I take the point about the ones in the pairs not relating so much, and maybe that's why I like the best painting I thought was the, was the one in the tree. Mm-hmm. Because if you're gonna take from Bacon, it's interesting to take like from a funny Bacon, a strange, peculiar Bacon, like Van Gogh on the road. Right, an okay. atypical, yes, um, but, dogs. And I just had this odd thought that if any of you, it seemed to me the reverse, if any of you saw this movie called District Nine, the South African movie about the no. thing. Well, she sort of did the reverse. There you have the sort of the prawns, you know, those strange, you know, inner outer space aliens that had, they marched around and had gestures like humans. She takes a human thing and sort of pushes it in the other direction. Figures themselves work for me, but I take the point about the pair's composition being a little inert. I mean, I actually did like the, the way in which the, there's a sort of pentimenti of... Um, almost incised lines that gave a kind of sculptural heft to the, these figures. And I, I found that was actually something that really energized and animated um, the, the, the paintings. Um, um, and for me, therefore, made a natural segue to sculpture, although the sculpture is modeled, not carved, which would, would have made more sense to that uh, sensibility. Um, um, but Bacon, yeah, Bacon, uh, yes, you, the, the references to Bacon, uh, the illusions are, as you say, 
certainly there. Well, she's one. He's one of the artists she writes letters to. Right? Yes. I mean, he's one of the ones. Uh, the thing is that in the paintings, I don't see him writing back. <laughs> Um, be because uh, it's a much more, although there's a pop element in his colour, it's, it's a much, um, it's a much more uh, tutti fruity chroma in Tyson, mm. and also there isn't actually a dynamic or existential tension between fear and ground. It's just it seems to be a decorative trope. Uh, would you not? Would you want to disagree with that, Patricia? Well, I think she, I actually think she's said that she. I don't think she. She sees the connection with Bacon, not that that matters, but I don't think that's something that she's attempting. I just think it's important to remember, and I guess I have to be the one to say it, that she's she's also responding to this sort of, she she is coming from a feminist, like very feminist perspective, and she is responding to this whole sort of history of um, male painters. And I think you know, with the with the figures, not to read into it too much, but with the couples, I feel like the disjointedness of it is could be partially intentional and when read from more feminist perspective is kind of interesting to me. So to see these two figures that are drawn separately and then put together into the same canvas when they're expanded and to kind of understand them in this strange universe that isn't really readable and to not be able to really impose a narration on it but in my mind to kind of always have there be a question of narration, um, I, I think it's it's interesting. It, it keeps me looking, and I saw the show a couple of times, and I, I, I still, I mean, I still would go see it again and probably see something a little bit different um, in terms of what I thought was happening narrationally. Yes. Which I like. So. I, I'm kind of just one yeah. thing is that you're always at a rhetorical disadvantage if you like some painting and you're gonna because I I like. The one you said that was complimentary, enticingly brittle, I like that. But if you know, you're, you can hit the color with tutti frutti, and it's hard to defend against something like that, to say, oh, I like it. But I will on the color say, I think in her previous work, there was, you know, she, she used to have these sort of dried blood reds and these custard yellows and things, and it would mix it up. And these were a little bit, to me, you know, the chartreuse green and the red that went toward pink, they were all in that halfway between, you know, that five-value gray, although fully chroma, you know, chroma level. And I, it was too frontal, all, all mm -hmm. of those paintings. Too graphic designer-ish, perhaps. You always take what's said and make it more <laughs> severe. I wouldn't accuse her of being a graphic designer. I like graphic design. I like graphic design, and I, as I said, I find these very enticing paintings, and uh, I enjoyed each one individually. Um, How do you spell Tyson? Uh, perhaps it's a never pun on Tyson. Never mind. Like as, as, as plagiarism is on plagans. <laughs> we never know. Um, uh, a final thought, uh, James, on, on uh, uh, Tyson. Uh, Peter introduced it by saying that he, he, she was shortlisted in, in, uh, as when she was an emerging artist uh, with... Uh, Lisa Yuskavich, who coincidentally has mm -hmm. a show just, mm -hmm. just around the corner at David Zwerner, uh, concurrently. Um, with Tyson, one can certainly... Uh, sorry, with, with uh, Yuskavich, one can certainly see, um, uh, without there being a clear feminist message, of a set of um, womanly concerns. Uh, do you think that... Uh, uh, do, do, you, do you buy the idea of a feminism uh, at work in, in uh, uh, Nicola Tyson? 
You know, I, I, it would be hard for me to say I, I saw it really operating there. It doesn't seem to be frontal to me, but I'm, I'm a guy. What can I say? Well, yes, but you're a cultural connoisseur and <laughs> critic guy. You're not a you're not a man in a bar. So uh, you're a man on a panel. So, uh, but uh, uh, Patricia, you mentioned the feminism. Do you do you feel do you feel our consciousness is being raised by these paintings? No, I mean I think that's an old definition of feminism. I think what's interesting to me about her. Uh, her practice is that she, I mean, I think we keep sort of talking about these letters, but she does do these performances where she mm. stands up and she reads these letters in front of her paintings. Yes. Excuse me. And she's spoken about it as a way to write around her paintings as opposed to about them or directly into them. So I see it as a complementary practice. I don't think she would do that if there wasn't a, a compliment there. Mm. Um, and I think it illuminates that for me more, but I think that's probably probably because, um, yeah, maybe it's not obvious, but I don't think um, femini feminism or anything needs to be obvious to exist. No, no, we don't want anything obvious. Well, I will I, also say, I mean, <laughs> there are a number of children in this work, yes. and they all seem to be kind of like scarred up. I mean, it's not very maternal of her, you could say. Right. No, we, want, we wouldn't want our feminist painters to be too maternal. That would, <laughs> that, but there is, there is, however, a, uh, a tenderness towards, towards uh, the world, female or childish or otherwise, in, in the work of uh, Amy Cutler. Let's turn our attention to her. And Patricia, perhaps I could actually um, ask for your thoughts first um, on this score. Um, Anything you particularly like to say, or would you like me to ask you a question? Um, I would just say, you know, of this work, it's definitely of the. It's definitely something that's always captured my imagination. I mean, I wrote a poem about. I saw this show and I saw the book, and I, I wrote a poem not about it, but sort of in along with it that it, it inspired me. So I, I always like work that can bring something out in me um, creatively. Um, and about the work directly, so that's my relationship to it. I, I've never written criticism about it, um, and it doesn't seem to invite that from me necessarily. It's, it's very, like you said, tender. Um, I respond to the images of the women working. Um, I thought this show in particular was interesting because of the fact that it showed her working process, and um, it was kind of like a way, you sort of saw the artist alongside her images and kind of the working process of the artist and then the way that she viewed work as this sort of transcendental kind of experience for women, um, but not women. I mean, they're, they're women in her images, but perhaps we can see them as people outside yes. of that. And I, I don't know. I respond to it, I guess, positively again. Yes, I, <laughs> I, I, I can say I feel that I do too. I'm, I'm very struck. It's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's a rare pleasure, really, to be thinking about, critically, uh, uh, an exhibition that, that elects uh, printmaking as its medium, and that we're not having to cordon printmaking off as, as being some sort of quaint craft that we uh, don't really look at, uh, in the way that we perhaps don't really look. We, there's no reason why we shouldn't, but that, that perhaps we sideline uh, ceramics, for instance, um, and and when we do look at prints, we usually get a little too technical, a little too connoisseurial, quite unnecessarily, in ways that we 
don't necessarily when we talk about painting and sculpture or, or indeed video or installation. Um, but it's, it's striking that she chooses a printmaking medium, uh, James. Did that strike you and, and did it seem to you that there were things that were being uh, plumbed in these works that are uh, specific, uh, the, the medium specific in a, in a energizing, positive way? Well, I'd say, you know, I'm a process guy and this is a process show. I really like that. It seemed that the content of the work directly related to the process of its creation. So you can see the narratives or the partial narratives. You can construct narratives from the work of hair being woven and grown. And at the same time, in the show um, are all the different components of the printmaking process. The plates are there. The, um, the, other, the kind of proof, proof, proof pieces are there. Um, I mean, there's so much there. That may be my only criticism of the show, where I felt that it was a little stuffed with a whole lot of things. Photographs, um, uh, there was a dress, uh, sculptures, in addition to there being, I think, work from kind of several narratives that she's working with. Mm. And I wonder if the show maybe would have been a little clearer if, let's say, she decided to take just kind of one narrative theme that she's working on and have that be the show rather than having the viewer kind of construct everything. It's possible, it's interesting to construct, but it, it takes a long time to enter into. Right, right. Did you have a, a, a bit of a sense, Peter, of the, the market stall, of, of it being laid on thick, the different options here? No, and I have to confess, this is one of these things. Amy, Amy Cutler goes by me either under me, over me, around me, or the side. I don't relate to it, and when James said something about, hey, after all, I'm a guy, there's something about um, a kind of delicate, twee surrealism that fails to reach me. I looked at it, I understood what was going on there, and maybe I'm a little too conscious, or conscious in the wrong way of what's out there, but between some photographers, I, I couldn't give you a coherent list of names, but between some photographers and some painters, there seems to be a thing about, you know, kind of either 19th century or Nordic people wandering around in the woods with a lot of empty space around them doing slightly odd things. The Mama Anderson for me. And, and, you know, and I'm, I'm not going to say it's bad, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't reach me. What you said about the uh, cordoning off of printmaking and, you know, ceramics, I just, I'm, this is an old argument, but I'm going to say, you know, they, they do this partly to themselves. Cutler doesn't do this, but, you know, there's Ceramic Monthly and there's a magazine called Print, and they, you know, and they, you know, you can't have it both ways. Uh... Well, but there's a magazine were, called Art in America, so there's a, there's a magazine uh, called Sculpture. Yeah, I know. I, but I've, you, I've been at ceramics conventions yes. where people complain about ceramics is, is, is cordoned off, you know, right. and a lot of the cordoning is done, you know, it's self. Yes. Um, anyway, into the... The only thing that struck me as discordant, and I didn't... I, I like that little sculpture in the middle. That was the most intriguing thing to me, mm -hmm. you know, that little the circular. Sure. But the dress with the puppets on the hands, I thought, was, you know, a bridge too far. 
I would have simply, you know, please take that out because it's, well, it was out of proportion. It had a whole different color kind of thing to it. Its presence as an object was kind of much more wham, you know, than the delicate other, other stuff. Um, but I'd sort of, you know, beg out of it. If I were writing and somebody said, do you want to review the Amy Cutler show? I'd say, you know, could I not? Right, right. <laughs> Um, but let's let's I, let's this. The, and Peter has totally put his finger on what could be certainly drawn as very legitimate criticisms of the show. Patricia, do you do you feel that um, how 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 much is this? Um, do you feel Cutler's um, just Cutler's sensibility uh, coming 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 out? The the touch, the delicacy, the um, experimentation in different media. Or, and how much is it actually as a, a deliberate, intentional statement that, that the, the presentation and also the choice of media, how much do they actually um, meld with what you feel to be the, the mood or the message or the narrative play? Well, I mean, I hated that dress too. And I actually didn't even like the photograph or the... I just like her little worlds that she either draws or that she has in the, in the prints. And I think that... The pro, you know, showing the process of that printmaking process was interesting to me as well. So I didn't like the move to three dimensions in this show either. Um, but I, it didn't ruin it for me necessarily. Um, I think the question was how much of that is her? I, um, I don't know. I don't know why people choose to do choose to explore these different mediums um, as artists when they're quite accomplished in one area. I mean, it might be a challenge, or it seems that she, I, I'm not, not to get into her head, but there's a possibility of trying to see something more clearly in a, a different yes. way. Um, I think the way the show was set up, what was kind of interesting was just seeing the echoes. So the reason that they put that dress in was that the image was repeated somewhere else. Um, right. And so I can see why the um, curators put it together that way. Um, but sometimes, I guess, when you're following that kind of a thing, like, oh, well, this connects to this and this connects to that, you lose the whole sense of how the room looks. And I think that might be a case yeah. of that kind of situation. I think it's interesting. I think we're saying some of the same thing. I think the show had a little too much in it. And whether we need to cut down on the media of the show or cut down on the narrative of the show, it could have benefited from some editing. I felt that um, uh, I felt a little lost as to whether it was intentional or just slightly clumsy. Because... Um, if you're in a Karen Kalimnik show where you get a plethora of mediums and where you, uh, uh, you bounce from one to the other, um, you never lose the sense that this is absolutely being thrown at you as a juxtaposition and, and it's, not, it's not a sort of market store like hedging of bets. It's, it is a, a unified statement. Um, I feel that certainly her work in uh, printmaking is that's where it really comes to life. So I, I was surprised really, surprised really even, I, I always love seeing plates, I mean printmaking plates, um, just, but it, it felt a little bit science museum-y, you know, to, to be shown that, oh right, it's printmaking. I mean, we don't need to see it, people aren't shown the palette of a painter. So, um, you know, why not just, I think it might have been a stronger show if it had just been very starkly lit. Um, and then just a dense narrative built around just the prints. I think it would have uh, done it for me better. You want to... 
this is over but you, you kind of want to, it's a very feminine show and you want a kind of very male installation of it. Um, I have a, a very small nit though to pick about, I'll go counter on the printmaking thing. Mm. I, when I first seen she, you know, she does drawings and, and, mm -hmm. and the, the, her line gets stiffened, I think, negatively when she has to draw on plate, because it's kind of, you know, you have to do that. And on a couple of those, those prints, and on that first wall where you come in on your left, I mean, I did have a real, so I was going to say tutti fruity colors, I'll remind it, it remind me of those, those, you know, etchings that lawyers have in their office about people playing tennis, and right. you know, all the bad things that happen in that. But her line, and in, in when she makes the noses on people, uh, the women, you know, bending over when the pigs come down. It, it was just, there was something too cartoony and flat. And, and I thought, you know, she just had the pencil or a pen on a piece of paper, have a little more flow to it. So I'm a little bit counter about, I, li I like the, the hand-colored stuff, but mm. I, it, it stiffens up drawing in metal. Um, yes, but that's, a, with, with a master, that's a good thing. And that, sorry to use a sexist term because when we're talking about it, but um, no, when you when you when you're marshalling your means, that's a great thing because um, the, the when it stiffens up, it gives us kind of tension and awkwardness. Um, of course, if you're if you're like Rembrandt making an etching, there's no awkwardness, but there's still tension. Um, uh, the the etchings actually reminded me strongly of uh, Paula Rago's work. I don't know if anyone knows Paula Rago. Um, her fairy tales are using, use the same medium and have, have a similar kind of uh, uh, feel to them uh, to me. Um, I, I, would, I would reject as essentialist the idea that um, uh, a rigorous display is masculine and, a, and, a, and an all over the place one is feminine. I mean, I, um, perhaps we should take a, a show of hands, females only, on that one to see which, which of us uh, gets the brownie point for. Uh, um, um, feminist critique. I, I do think, though, if you limit the show in that way, it does risk becoming a print show, for one thing, which is what we're talking we don't want. And also, you lose, I think, the, the sense of process. It's interesting that processes work in multiple ways in this show, in the narrative, and also in the production of the work. And if you mm. remove one of those completely, I think you lose a component, an important component of her work. That's, that's, that's a fair point. I accept that one. Great. Well, it's a good time now, actually, both on Nicola Tyson and on Amy Cutler to uh, give the audience a chance to share their views. We've got a roving mic, have we? Marvellous. So please do wait for the mic, both so that we can hear you and we can record you. And um, by being recorded, you consent to being podcast, by the way. Um, a little... Uh, but don't let that inhibit you. Please say what you... Say what you feel like saying. Um, great. Well, let's uh, let's start with um, let let's start with Cutler. So we just finished talking about Cutler. Any comments on the Cutler show, um, or questions to the panel about it, or challenges to what we had to say about it? Uh, yes, uh, please. Thank you. Um, Be an illustrator. None of you mentioned it was mm. that at all, and I related the prints because it was a print that immediately to illustration. But 
there was no, I haven't seen the show, so I'm assuming there was no text with it, but to me, when I saw it, I immediately thought of people like Edward Ardazzoni and that sort of illustration, or an illustration to a Dickens book or something like that. Um, yes, I think that's a very fair point. I don't know, it was certainly something I was thinking about, so I'm not sure why I didn't mention it. Um, it was, it reminded me rather of the, it put me in mind of the Herbert Reed novel, The Green Book, which has a, as a narrative set in, in the 19th century. But, um, we, it's funny how we um, uh, did pick up on, um, we did get into a little back and forth on Tyson's um, graphic designer uh, aspect. Um, and yet, uh, perhaps the elephant in the room with uh, Cutler is that we didn't mention is um, illustration. I found myself going around thinking, it's illustrative and that's okay. I mean, what's wrong with illustrative? I mean, I hate it. That, that, that we, 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 there's a kind of, there are these orthodoxies in uh, modernist criticism that postmodernism hasn't cured us of, that the decorative or the illustrative are a bad thing. Are, we, are, are, the, are my co-panelists simply so over that prejudice that they didn't need to mention the illustrative in uh, Cutler? Over it. Yes. Over it, over it. Over it. Uh, you're over it too? I hope so. I grew up with that. I mean, that was big when I was in art school and, and as an undergraduate and abstract painting was around and everything that was figurative was accused by the people who were going off and doing abstractions as being illustration. I don't, yeah, I hope that we're over that. I mean, Greenberg used to have his famous term of homeless representation in abstract paintings whereby he thought the methods of a figurative painting mainly value you know, light and shadow uh, in an abstract painting was out of place. You know, it was really a figurative painting. You just couldn't tell what it was a figurative painting of. You could probably make a parallel criticism of kind of a, a homeless illustrative quality, which is simply looking for a text. But I didn't find that. They didn't bother me in, in the case of Amy Cutler. And she seemed like, you know, that would be a fine collaboration. You know, Amy Cutler's visuals with somebody else's poems as people have done, or short stories as people have done, mm -hmm. centuries. Right, great. A any more on Cutler? Um, yes, thank you. You mentioned the process uh, in the Cutler, and my question, unfortunately, is about Tyson. So I'm Okay. <laughs> but uh, both, both the, my question is this, could you help me in any way bringing together Tyson's paintings with her sculptures? I can see the sculptures there as a kind of sketch that enlightens your understanding of her process and that leads back to Cutler and the process that you talked about that she or the show exhibited. And I'm wondering, why are we interested in their process? Yes, James, you said you're a process guy, um, and you know, that's, that's legit. Um, but uh, it, does being a process guy help you offer us a, a reading of either artists? Well, let me go back to your Tyson comment. I think your question about connecting the painting and the sculpture is also my question. I don't think they connected very well, in the way, in, at least in the way they are presented. I mean, 
I actually had to go back to the gallery because I, I went in the wrong door. You know, they're actually in different buildings mm -hmm. or something. And I didn't think they connected very well. I didn't, it, one didn't help me understand the other. I think with Cutler, it's the opposite, where uh, I think it, her process helps me understand the narratives in her work. And so process itself can illuminate a lot about what's going on, combined with the fact that I'm just naturally interested in what artists are doing. And I like when I can see that happening out in front of me. Right, yeah. Um, yes, a lady in the front. Well, while she's waiting for yes. the mic, I said this is, might be overly schematic, but I just put it out there as a possibility. Tyson in her painting seems to start from a figurative premise and then sort of beat it back into something, you know, that's, that's not quite figurative. And in those sculptures, she adds a dimension, but she seems to be working up from the stuff into a figuration, and it isn't quite there yet. I mean, this is, it's fairly abstract stuff. So you have two dimensions starting with figurative, drifting toward abstraction in a funny kind of way, and the other one, three dimensions starting with the stuff and hoping to conjure something. And as long as I, I just want to throw in one other thought, mm -hmm. the thing about the monster, you know, the, the monstrosity effect and the scarred dog and the things like that, I'm probably maybe a little bit insensitive, but you know, there was a time when people thought that, you know, Picasso, two eyes on the same side of the head, what's going on here? And after a while, we learned to look at those things and read through those distortions and say, yeah, you know, it's a person standing there. And I think, I'm not saying in 50 years it'll turn out the same thing with Tyson, but I don't think we should be too concentrating on the kind of, you know, Look of yes, some of the things. which is which is definitely when you have um, whole shows, whole bodies of work, and uh, indeed a whole career that that makes that the way of doing business. That you that you all the more um, as you get used to it, um, perhaps lose what what made it distinctive in the first place. Yes, um, I was interested in the kind of labor that was going on with all the women, the kind of women in isolation and working, and working with each other, and probably working all day, and into the evening, and then going back and doing more work for dinner. Um, and I was reminded of, of some people that I talked to from Poland who were girls who worked in a silkscreen shop. And they couldn't talk to one another because they had elephant noses on, and the noses were led to the outside air, so that they went around with these long, loose things that went like like um, dryer, you know, dryer hoses that went to the outside to get air. And they worked like that all day. And it was a little bit like looking at people who were peasants, who were working in that kind of state. And I think of also the people that are um, out there commenting on how many people are out of work and how many people used to do labor like that that might like the job back that was that simple. Right. Yes, at the back. Um, not to sort of belager the, the process issue, but I thought that, um, to me, that was really the gulf that separated um, the exhibitions. When I was um, looking at the Nicola Tyson show, it occurred to me that she may have been able to paint all of those paintings with two brushes. Um, the fact that the surface was 
pretty consistent throughout to the point that I thought that she was just phoning it in on a lot of paintings. Whereas um, in Amy Cutler's exhibition, whilst maybe not everything that was in the show was amazing, she was at least pushing materials in a bunch of different directions simultaneously. And I felt that there was um, a kind of sincerity behind what she was doing. Whereas the you know Crayola, Crayola Sculpey formations just seemed kind of pedestrian to me. And I think that um, Amy Cutler's ability to kind of use these elements and then communicate a reasonably clear uh, narrative with a point of view, I thought actually made that exhibition really poignant and stuck with me in a way that I thought, you know, Nicola Tyson's, I thought actually was really quite forgettable. Um, but that's Great. just my comment. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Fantastic. I agree with that. Thank you. <laughs> All right. He's the man. We'll get him on next time. Good. <laughs> Marvelous. So I think we're ready, um, Molly, to have a look at our next two PowerPoint presentations. So James, with Melissa Meyer, there's a painter, if you're interested in process, where you really, I feel, in each, each work with Meyer, you've, you've got the finished work and you've got the process all at once. Is that a fair way of thinking about her? Is, that you really do feel you're almost there painting the painting as you're looking at it? I didn't quite feel that way. How did you feel? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I came in really wanting to like this work. You know, this is the type of work I, I love. Uh, Lennon Weinberg you know, has a great history of exhibiting some amazing structured color abstraction, and this certainly seems to fall in line with that. Um, she built up her canvases by kind of dividing them up into a, a basically a kind of grid of, of light wash and then goes back in and does this kind of calligraphy or dance or however you want to write it, however you want to look at it, and it's a, a bit of a performance and it, it, it's, a, it's a virtuosic performance in many ways. But for me, it, it, most of the work seemed uh, too regular in that, the way that was occurring, uh, too stiff, very decorative, um, and it needed, I think, the introduction of, of a kind of uh, foreign element or agent uh, to just make it a little more interesting. I saw that in a couple of paintings, but in others, it just seemed just way too flat for me. Okay, right. Um, uh, Patricia, as somebody who has a particular interest in performance, I wonder if, if, uh, if this is a painter that, where you felt a perform the, the brush was performative, whether the, the, the calligraphy of the works and the... Uh, Made, made any particular sense to you, or how how did you respond? Yeah, I mean, we you know we could stretch performance to mean a lot of different things. To me, it didn't. That's not that wasn't that was not meaningful at all. But I I did think also that, and I do like her paintings. But I did see how it could be a a bit yeah flat and decorative. I mean, I agree with that. I just could see a lot of these works being picked out to match somebody's couch. And I felt like the reason that, um, I think other people, everyone saw the, the book show as well. I mean, that's what I really liked that move to materials personally was that, I mean, not to talk about commodification, but the, the idea that it existed as this artist book was just, um, it sort of solved that problem for her. Because it was the same kind of a thing that she was doing, the exact, she has a thing, you know? She was doing the same grid, but, um, just in a way that made it so much more interesting and alive for me. Um, so I, I thought it was interesting to see the two of them together. 
and again to talk about those materials. But performative, no, I, I don't, I think anything can be called that in a way. Um, yeah, fair point. Um, although to me, that's actually the essence of what is, is going on with, with Maya. I mean, I, I think that um, um, almost any great abstract painter uh, is going to come up against the, the possibility of A, being decorative and, right. and, and B, uh, being flat because, um, uh, you know, they're, they're within a discourse that is, 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 is striving and, and making central use of, of those, those two um, elements. Uh, I mean, if you don't know jazz and you just hear it, you say, well, this is nice music, but it's the kind of music you could have going on in a bar or something. And, well, the truth is, yes, that's because they play jazz in bars, but it's still Charlie Parker, you know. So, um, uh, Peter, would you back me up on that? <laughs> <laughs> you talk yourself into a hole and then you want me to pull you out of it. No, I think you, it's there. I, the, the funny thing about, I would probably, to, to cut to the chase, I would probably come down mildly on a negative side, the negative side being a bit of a disappointment because I've seen a lot of her shows and I know the work. And she does one thing all the time that's really pretty good. It's an, I think it's an old Hans Hoffman dictum that in nature, light creates the color and in painting, color creates the light. And she somehow gets the sum of the light coming off the canvases is more than equal to the sum of its parts. There's a kind of a glow there, if you want. And I, I can parse it a little bit. I see, I mean, and she's very, when she puts those little yellow patches in, you know, there's some, you know, she works that very nicely. But what it did with me was, was, was the arguing with myself as I looked at it, you know, not so much in words because they weren't stories. I could see, yes they're kind of the same kind of brush mark and they, they're in a little brick-like unit like this and that's going to be bad and, and, and that she's, you know, um, uh, repeating the same thing. And then I would look again and I would say, well, well, wait a minute though, there's an interesting color. This one's got brown and pink in it. There's one with, with I think, pink in it. And I went back and forth and back and forth knowing things and I came down with a, and I'm, I'm sticking very close to the middle tonight, a kind of mild version of the Tyson thing where I think she's a really good painter. I'm one of the think, people that thinks that Tyson is a you know, kind of mid-major painter. Um, but it's, you know, the, the, the shtick is too much in a groove. And uh, James said a foreign element, and I don't think, you know, literally some assemblage thing on there. But something, but they're very good. Uh, but I went back and forth and I came down slightly on that. You know, I was a little bit disappointed. All right. Well, um, okay. I must say, I follow her work very closely. I should confess that I've, I've been, you know, I've written catalog essays for her, so I have that, you know, involvement, degree of involvement and uh, investment, I suppose you'd say. But um, I, I, I can see that, yeah, there's a Melissa Meyer. Um, way of going about business. It's the grid, it's calligraphy, and, and, it's, and it's color that goes uh, with or against the grid. Um, but uh, perhaps it's a result of being uh, 
so deep an admirer that I, I actually see significant shifts from show to show and, and felt that in this show, um, she was really uh, shifting gear, um, in, in particular in the kind of rather um, uh, he heavy, uh, strong, slightly difficult marks that were pushing right against the grid and were almost like skeletal um, figures that they, they built up into kind of skeletal skeletal figures in, 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 in uh, one or two of them and, and were very much like a sort of heavy filigree like you'd have uh, in a stained glass window where you suddenly have the sculptural element of a really um, thick or bronze almost uh, holding the uh, panes together and that seemed to be um, for me a departure. Uh, one thing I would say though is that uh, and I, you know, I want to take issue with the three co-panelists in, in my admiration um, I feel if I could have taken that show to the Friedrich Petzel Gallery and, uh, for a, an afternoon and uh, asked Nicola if she didn't mind too much, uh, fellow female artist and all that, and rehung just the three or four paintings at the back. Um, it was a little bit of the Amy Cutler effect, the tchotchkes in the front. You know, it's, it's a, uh, Lennon Weinberg's a bit of a sort of corridor gallery, so it's, it's, a, it's a serious restriction. Um, and it, there's nothing worse for me than when you've got a, a painting show that has four magnificent statements, like you have in the, to, to me, the, the paintings that one saw at the back, to have to get there through a corridor of um, works on paper and small works. I think that was a shame. And I think if, if, if it had been seen somewhat differently, that perhaps some of my panelists would feel differently about the show. Um, but I'm not sure that there's much room for debate. I mean, it's just uh, um, we've, we've all said what we think, and um, uh, unless we have a five or ten minutes of saying, how could you think what you think when I think what I think? <laughs> it's unfortunately possibly one of those situations where the premise of the review panel, beloved by so many, lovely to see a full house, lovely to have great guests, but sometimes the premise just isn't actually there. there, there if, if there's just people have had their say and they say what they think, we might have done it. Well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll try to add a little bit here. <laughs> yes. I mean, you know, one question I was asking myself, well, what, what would I like to see different? What would I like to see these paintings do? Yeah, the foreign element. element. Yeah. Could, could, you, could you... Well, there was one painting there called Walkabout that seemed to have an, a red number one in the middle of it. I, I like yes. it right there. You know, calligraphy, writing, inter the introduction of maybe letters or, or things that are more visible and playing off that. I just feel like these, the work could operate on an additional level that would add some more visual interest to it. And, and it almost like a, you know, it's like, right now it's like a code that it doesn't really say anything. You know, but if, the, if there was maybe something there you could try to get at, I think that could be very uh, attractive. Well, I mean, the essence of abstraction, in a way, is the Kantian dictum of purposiveness without purpose. So that with, with Maya, it's the, calligraph the calligraphy-like, but without any actual calligraphy. But I, I totally buy your argument that, um, that, that a painting can still be abstract, as Jasper Jordans, of course, has shown, perhaps, that a painting can still be abstract and yet adopt a very legible and recognizable uh, figure or form or... Um, Maybe, maybe then, if you saw some 
some actual numbers. So you'd like to you, you feel that there was an actual number, bit like a. I'm not saying put a number in it. Mars and Harvey. Uh, you know, uh, come in number five. You know, uh, maybe um, you know just something. That's up to her. But just something else in there. Just the calligraphy. You know, it just isn't saying anything to me right now. That's the problem. For me, the book did that. I mean, mm-hmm. it, that, that solved that problem for me. But Yes, know. the book. I'm sorry we didn't... I forgot, we forgot to get a picture of the book, which is a, a show we are wanting to think about and talk about as well. It, Probably the, the, the thing, the, the tenor of the discussion, which ended in what David hates most is dead air, um, <laughs> Is, is the fact that everybody up here buys the premise. I mean, with, with, with Nicola Tyson and Amy Cutler, there was a little bit, you know, I said I didn't like this kind of twee surrealism. There was a, you know, a genre debate, as it were. There's a thing about Tyson and whether you like the monstrification of something and, and, and like that. In here, everybody is accepting, as I think we should be, of Melissa Meyer's premise, and so we're sitting here feinschmecking over whether the calligraphy is this or that, or whether there could be more color, which probably makes for a dull discussion. You know, it's it's kind of a, a discussion among connoisseurs of, of who would mm-hmm. like it a little bit this way and a little bit that way. Well, is there then um, is there a painter of? And let's let's define exactly what Melissa Meyer is. She's she's a painter of. Um, flat, decorative, um, quilt-like grids which, in which calligraphy is an animating element that gives a kind of speed and a velocity to the colour. And the colour, as Peter absolutely accurately pinpoints it, is effulgent. It's a colour that pronounces and promotes and uh, a particular kind of light. Why didn't you give me effulgent before I spoke? Okay. I could have used that. All right. Uh, but didn't, didn't any of your students at NYU use that word? I mean, uh, you weren't reading carefully. You should have taken some notes. Um, um, so is there somebody in... I mean, when, when we looked at Tyson, we just say, okay, Yuskavich. Isn't Yuskavich doing Tyson in a more sexy way? So with Melissa Meyer, is there a contemporary painter that uses effulgent light, the grid, and, and calligraphy in a more enticing way that we can think of. I can't. Or where she, you know, the funny thing is, she, she works, I mentioned jazz, and um, she actually sometimes mentions jazz and saying that she feels she's like a jazz musician in respect to the fact that um, it's become a genre of its own and that um, to those who, who've gone on to hip-hop, for instance, jazz is old hat, because it's jazz. But that to those who follow jazz, jazz is a living language, and it, it never expires, and it it's always has room within it for reinvention. So in, in a way, do we accept, for instance, that argument that abstraction is a bit like that? And if so, is it just a cordoned-off thing in itself, which has its own internal dynamics, or is there a, a sense that the, of the, the urgency? Can one reactivate that sort of urgency that existed for abstraction in the 40s and 50s, where it really was in the driving seat, so what the abstract painter did next was what painting was going to do next? I mean, is, there, do we, is it possible no. to say... <laughs> is it possible to no. say... Is it possible to say abstraction needs to go 
in the direction of uh, Stephen Westfall or in the direction uh, of yeah. Melissa Meyer or in the direction of Juan Ousley or in the direction of uh, uh, Howard Hodgkin. And it's, uh, you know, though each, any one of those artists shows what's lackluster about the others. I, I think it needs to go in the direction of Stephen Westfall if you're going to say that. I mean, I think his, sh his shows at that same gallery are knockouts. And he's also, I mean, he's not doing the same thing, but he's also using color. But there's just something so unusual about the way he uses color and the way it's animated. And also, and more recently, how he's been studying um, uh, mosaic and, and bringing that in, that discussion into a kind of modernist language. Um, you know, if this is jazz, it's a little more like easy listening. <laughs> okay, okay. I think Lennon, I, I think uh, uh, Westfall is hard edge and he brings in pop. And, but then it sounds like that's what you want. You want, you want that otherness in your well, abstraction. I, I think also I'm just going to say, you know, I always see paint. One risk, I think, when you're an abstract painter especially, is getting uh, just a little too good at what you do. All right. And, and, not, and, and then, you know, I think the best move is sometimes to, you know, push the reset button and, and just try a different approach. Right. Like Modigliani trying to work with his left hand. When, when I was in Chelsea to re-see, uh, I had seen Cutler's show and Tyson's show before, and I took a second look. I was walking up um, 10th Avenue past this rather schlocky gallery with a glass front that has mm. Warhols and Art Warhols and Lichtensteins and Art Lichtensteins, and there was this painting that caught my eye. And it was maybe a little bit bigger than those boys playing soccer over there, you know, one of those, horizontal. And I think it was a two-part, and it was, I, I said, you know, can this be in this sort of schlocky gallery? And by God, it was a small 1974 Norman Bloom, mm. a painter whom a lot of people don't <clears throat> like and didn't like. I always rather liked it. And I went in there to look at it being a little bit embarrassed to go into this gallery. And it had some oomph, and I had just come from Melissa Meyer's show, and I can't quite explain it, but there was, you know, maybe it was just the contrast of it, but there was a kind of slightly wham-bam, I'm gonna take a chance, it was a smallish painting, it wasn't a big, big risk, you know, that something's gonna fall. And Melissa Meyer, except for the fact that she can't, the way she paints, I don't think she can go back over. You know, she doesn't have a, have a, a yeah. you know, opaque paint. And so she's out there working without a net, so to speak. I wish she would take a little chance. That was a long statement that didn't... No, that was... No, thank <laughs> you for it. No, no, no apologies required. Great. All right. Um, so, uh, Peter, the last show we've, we've seen together is uh, Michelle Lopez, um, on the Lower East Side. Sorry to force you to go to a different neighborhood. But uh, um, it looked to me when I was, uh, the, the, the first body of work one sees, it looks as if um, uh, somebody putting together uh, a, a, a McCracken show had employed John Chamberlain as the art handler. <laughs> um, now you're, you're, you're an expert for us on, on Californian cool abstraction. You've written a book, I believe, on the art of California. Long ago discredited. Long ago <laughs> and uh, a, a revered standard authority on the subject. Um, she's playing a little with our, with our expectations and memories of certain artists, isn't she? Yeah, but see, I really like not this show, but the, the kind of the planks. 
okay? And it, it, the odd thing is she gives the, the, the least works in the show to me, the, the vertical strips that were hanging. They, they have a title called Flare, and according to the press release, it was taken from a title of a McCracken, mm -hmm. McCracken plank. Um, I haven't seen her work for a long time. I mean, I've seen it interveningly. I did see that leather car that she did in the original, you know, Greater New York. But, see, I'm happy if I go to a show and I'm not going to judge it as the show. She should have put this in, put that out. I thought the installation was fairly right on for what was in the show. It was very mm -hmm. astutely done. And I go, the big things were the best things, then those puns on skateboards and melty plywood were the second things, and I thought the hanging strip things were negligible, don't ask me to you know, defend all those judgments. But the, but, the, but the planks had a presence to them, and even though, and this is an old trick I used to do, David, all the time, I'd say it's halfway between somebody and somebody, I just got a catalog from some figurative painter, and I said, you know, it's halfway between Aang and Walter Keene. And you can do that, and you can kind of dismiss something easily like that. And I see McCracken and the Chamberlain-ish things. But I just thought they had a presence to them, and if you want to go, you know, psychological, and here I'm way out of my depth, I thought she had the phallic and the vaginal in the same piece. These are these, you know, things that go up in the air, but then you go got to go around and look and see what the color is in, you know, inside. <laughs> and they were mystifying, and a, one of them was where I thought it was a, 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 like New York Yankee blue, that real dark, you know, and it was turned out to be black. I had to ask, and they told me, so. No, I, I certainly wasn't seeing Anyway, I like those, the, the big things. I thought those were the best works of art I saw in the tour of four shows. Right. Now, I certainly was not seeking to dismiss this work. I thought it had a, a, a sexiness and panache to it, and I enjoyed it. And then when I learned more about uh, the, the premises behind it, although I have trouble with work where you need the conceptual narrative to get it, um, it actually did make it richer for me. Uh, Patricia, what, what's the most lasting thing for you with this show? Was it the, that, that first visual impact of, of those forms, or was it... Uh, the, the conceptual underpinnings of the show? Well, I mean, I think it, it brings together for me a lot of the things we've been talking about already tonight. Um, similarly to Nicola Tyson, I think she's engaging with this very macho art history and kind of, I don't think the work is feminine per se, but just really, I think she makes those, she crinkles them up by like rolling around on them and so she has these sort of interesting processes that go along with it um, and yeah I found it incredibly engaging work and um, a lot more pared down than her last show um, at that gallery a couple years ago um, which I also really enjoyed um, I think she's a good artist I, I didn't wasn't so engaged by the um, the back room by the skateboards or the, I agree, the... The, the walking the, sticks? The sticks were confusing to me as to why they should be, why they would be interesting. I, I, I couldn't really engage with them. But um, I liked the idea of the leaning, that everything was leaning against the wall, so it was like very strong, but also kind of needed to be supported. There was a lot that was going on. Um, and for such, such a small amount of material, I mean, there's, they were big, but for a, there wasn't a lot that seemed to be going on 
and yet at the same time there's a lot to think about. So, so yeah. process, uh, James, there's a lot of uh, rather meticulous and um, um, uh, certainly I was impressed by the, uh, the, the rigor and depth of her uh, color and paint choice uh, uh, researches. Um, did that register with you or was that a distraction? How, how, did, how did that work with you? Well, uh, for one thing, with the skateboard pieces, I was impressed by how well those were made. I mean, to make the plywood bend in the way it does, I mean, to a liquid almost, mm -hmm. I mean, that is a surrealist work. You know, that's like the melting clock, but it's your melting skateboard. I thought there was something very appealing about the grip tape on the front of it, you know, which is supposed to be grip. You're supposed to, it's the solid platform, and, but here it is melting underneath you. It's, it's very disconcerting. The, uh, of, the, of the monoliths, which would look a little bit like someone backed a truck into the prop room at 2001, you know. Uh, I thought that the black and white monolith was more successful than the silver ones, because when the silver ones just looked to me like mangled pieces of aluminum. I could, I, it didn't, especially the surface, didn't change for me. I thought the black and white ones the, co the colors there became, it looked like paper for one thing. The exterior of the white one really looked like crinkled paper. And it was amazing yes. to have a hard material like, like that looking so delicate. Looking at it then to the inside where it was black, because it was so black, the, black be the void became a form in itself and a line that kind of changed as you moved around it in a way that the blue inside the silver ones, you could see, there was more light penetrating in there, so it didn't become quite that void. Right. Yes, I, I gathered and I, uh, learning it made me enjoy the form more that the crinkle effect was actually achieved by the artist rolling her own body almost like an Eve Klein anthropomorphism, uh, anthropophology, sorry, um, against the, the metal to get that um, uh, form. Of course, one doesn't, one, it's one of those cases where you, you, you're told it and it's interesting and then you try to fold that interesting thing you've been told into the visual experience that would never have had that where you're not told it but then life is complex so that happens so why not just go with the flow and say yes it looks good and it, it feels good as well um did, did did the process register with you patricia yeah i yeah definitely that that in particular for some reason i really grabbed onto that i just think it's kind of charming and also, it goes along very well with what she's trying to convey. And it seems very intentional. It's probably not the only way that one can crinkle a piece of aluminum. Yes. So I think she probably does that and wants you to know about it. And you need to know make, about it. Which yes. makes it, in a way, a part of the work. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be outside of it. I didn't know it. about it. Ah. How did I, how'd you find out about it? Oh, we got, I got a guided tour. In yeah. fact, there's a fascinating guiding tour in which my, my assistants and I were told we have to look at the those uh, sort of melting walking sticks, uh, that if you look at them head on, they, they all look like they're kind of one color, as I was told. I always hate it when labels or somebody giving you a guided tour tells you what emotional or physical reaction you're gonna have. Uh, but uh, it makes you feel like a sort of five-year-old. <laughs> Why, I can't, yes, okay, yes, I can see it now, thank you. But apparently, looking at it head on, they're all kind of the same color, but you look at it on the side, and it, they're very different colors, and. I said, well, it's, it's the way you've lit it. But uh, that, that wasn't apparently the correct response or thing to say. Because, um, I mean, it wasn't immediately apparent to me that 
she formed those crinkles by rolling around on it. It wasn't like there was an impression of a body on it or anything. No. I think it worked. I think it works fine without knowing that. It does. But we know it. Now we so know. Now I know. <laughs> now I know. Therefore. I mean, I, I will say also, I think this work. It, uh, we haven't talked about architecture, but it's, it's, what she's doing is similar to what we see in architecture. I mean, taking the modernist form and bending it the way Frank Gehry would do. I mean, it's, it's a similar process. Mm-hmm. Well, it's even a similar working process. If, you know, Gehry takes those, you know, exactly. insides right. of cylinders, inside paper towel rolls and toilet paper rolls and plaster and bends them and twists them and, and, and does like that. I didn't know that at first either, and I was just struck by the, the presence I like James's differing between the, the blue and silver ones and the, and the black and white ones. Um, I had a little bit of trouble, trouble, that's not, that's too strong a word, you know, a doubt about the skateboard ones, skateboardish ones. We, we can fall into these, these easy ways of describing, you know, somebody says skateboard, and then it goes skateboard, skateboard, skateboard. And, but there was something about the, the, the surrealism, the magritiness, if you will, of those things that bothered me a little because I couldn't look at them quite, you know, formally enough. That there was the grain in the wood and I knew it was like, and it was the grip tape and, you know what I mean, it was like a melted skateboard. Whereas, except for the architectural uh, uh, reference or vibe, you know, with the, with the, uh, with the columns, uh, I didn't have any of that. I didn't, you know, it wasn't even remotely figurative of any, of anything, and so I could look at it a little bit more, just you know, visually. Yeah, but you're right. We can't unknow now now that she, you know. I mean, I had a sculpture class once when I was an, uh, an undergraduate taught by a guy whose specialty was welded aluminum sculpture. And the thing I think when somebody tells me something is aluminum. I was welding on it down here, and it was about five feet long, and I went down to the other end, and I was going to pick it up. Well, aluminum conducts heat, you know, Mm -hmm. and it was, Jesus, you know, and my hands burned. And every time I confront something that's made out of aluminum, I think about it as this notoriously heat-conducting metal, which steel isn't. Irrelevant, but... (laughs) So we're, we're just having a merely picturesque effect, and it has a sublime sense of terror for you. That you could, yeah. You, you just, your hands begin to sweat a little as you look at this. Oh, my God, it's aluminum. Yeah, form, early formative experiences. Yes, of course. Scar your perception. Yes, yes. Can I speak a little also about the scale in the show? Yeah. What's interesting is that you have very large works coming in, and then they just get very small. That scape, those skateboard pieces are very tiny. There's something a little pathetic about them. In a good they're not way. Not that tiny. They're, they're, they're well, waist high and then down. Yes. Yeah, they're pretty small. They're on the floor. I mean, you know, they're not monumental. It may any stretch of the imagination. No, and they went up and then they go. Oh, no, exactly. Yeah, I like that about the show. They seem smaller because you've already seen the That's other right. one. Well. Yeah. You wouldn't want a monumental skateboard. It would um, escape you <laughs> at the wrong moment. Let's have our audience uh, comment on on the last two shows we. Um, have talked about, but let's really try to start with Melissa Meyer, if we can cast our mind back to that, because um, uh, it was a largely uh, negative, uh, uh, not overwhelmingly, but I'd say the average probably gave the show uh, 45%, which is not 
too great a, a pass rate. And um, as, uh, as somebody who uh, does like this work a lot, I wonder if there's anyone in the audience who wants to uh, challenge some of the premises of the panel about Melissa Meyer's paintings or back it up. We're, don't, we're, we're open to all. Any comments on the Melissa Meyer show? Huh. I'm sorry? Yes, yes, I think that's doable. Why not? Uh, Molly, can, can we, uh, you may need to. Um, uh, okay, nope, 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 nope. Actually, go to, go to view at the top. Go to view at the top, yeah, and then go to a slideshow. Yeah, yeah. And now go uh, to the bottom left corner uh, and click the arrow, and it says go to slide. And I would guess, yeah, there we are, Melissa Meyer, 27. Good, thank you. And here we go. But let's look and talk. So uh, they're, they're coming up. Oops. Yeah, they're coming up for us, but don't. Don't don't uh, don't hold that thought. So, the lady who can we get the mic to the lady here, please? Uh, third row back. Um, I was wondering if you could speak a little bit more to um, the first time that decorative was mentioned was in regard to Melissa Meyer's paintings as being you could imagine them being put above a couch, and I found Nicola Tyson's work incredibly decorative in kind of the mannered madness that um, Mr. Panero had sort of talked about a little bit. Um, and I just pictured like Lower East Side slick new condo couches underneath like all those paintings. So um, I'd just like to hear more about that. Thanks. Fantastic. Great. Okay. Thank you. Other, other comments on uh, Maya? Yes. Uh, the back row. This is a very simple, obvious one often raised um, in relation to abstract painting, but the titles, of course, are highly descriptive of either characters or places or scenes. The Melissa Meyer titles I'm referring to. So I'm just wondering if anybody on the panel wanted to comment on the specificity of the titles for the Melissa Meyer paintings. Yes, Melissa Meyer's titles always have a kind of cinematic or musical or historical or personal um, um, in contrast to say Tom Moskowski who gives them number number letter codes but uh, it's uh, uh, here's an artist who eschews the untitled cop-out um, for abstract painting um, yes gentleman at the back Well, I was, I was wondering when you, you were talking about uh, uh, Meyer's abstract work, like the older work wasn't so calligraphy, calligraphy or whatever, but the dark lines. And then, but yet her color was like a Hans Hoffman painting and it kind of brought out the light. And now she's moved into more uh, a darker line to go around that same effect. Uh, and I, I start thinking about maybe there's sort of a dead end to abstract painting that 
were really talking about when you said you really didn't have so much to say about it, and you've got that down, which is a beautiful effect, but where does it go from there? Any comments on that? Well, I wouldn't say that, you know, there's a dead end to abstract painting as a, you know, as a genre. If there is, I'm in big trouble. Um, but there is a kind of, you know, uh, 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 uniformity, semi-uniformity in Melissa Meyer's work. It was apparent here, and it, it, a couple of people have said, maybe all of us have said that, you know, it needs to get off the schneid in a certain way. Um, we don't know what that is. Because one of the things critics don't do, or they shouldn't do, is tell artists what to do to make their work better. That's crit time in art school. Yeah, and that's Roberta Smith. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, that's true. But I, I would resist uh, the characterization that because uh, a painter can marshal uh, enormous... Uh, skill and effect around um, uh, one way of doing something that that means it's a sort of uh, a closed book I mean because it, it's it's a question of the emotional content that, that the artist achieves in each um, individual work so um, I, I, I of course there's 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 a certain kind of energy in in any kind of art making where if, if a person is struggling uh, either intellectually or formally to, to get somewhere, that the struggle itself animates the work and makes it feel exciting and you go along with it. Um, and certainly de Kooning is the, you know, probably the greatest um, modern exemplar of that and constantly refusing um, a, to, to settle into a form or a style or a manner precisely in order to keep alive that, uh, that ongoing struggle. But then there are many artists who achieve great results without needing to uh, dramatize their own um, struggle. And, you know, I think uh, probably um, uh, Melissa Myers, an, an artist in, in the mold of someone like Alex Katz, who, um, for whom it, it, the, the, the performance, the bravura performance of something that is flat and simple and, and to some extent schematic, but married with incredible subtleties of, of color and form, um, is, is what makes the work, for me, so lively. Well, um, I, I, let me just say, we, we said the average is 45%. I think, I mean, I like her work. You know, right. I'm being particularly harsh, I guess, because I think she can even do more with what her capabilities are. Right. You know, she sets the stage with the grid. She then does her performance across it. Uh, she can take more risks maybe with the setting of that stage and, right. and, and going across the canvas in a new way. Right. Okay. Well, she's, it, it, the thought occurred to me, and I'm just throwing this out, I haven't you know, weighed it and filtered it, but it's difficult for an artist to be obsessive and lighthearted at the same time. Mm -hmm. I mean, on the thing. But she borders on an obsessiveness. I've got to do it this way, I've got to do it, you know, the grids and the so forth, and I keep going. But there's a certain joy, you know, those, those colors are, are uh, uh, they have a fragrance to them, they're bright, there's a light that comes off the paintings. 
and it's hard to marry those two, you know, marry those two things. If she were, you know, doing dark, you know, gray on gray on gray, mm -hmm. everybody would think this was sort of, you know, boy, profound, and she's, but it's, it's hard yes. to do this. Oh, I, yes. You know, and I, I think I want to get back for one thing to the book. We haven't really talked about yes. the book. I mean, that seems like a direction that is a very interesting one to explore, and I'd love to see more of that. I thought the book was the most successful piece, interestingly, because the works on paper, I thought, at the main show, were some of the weakest pieces. Mm -hmm. But you move into a different medium, and suddenly it works. And I have to say, you know, you mentioned critics can't say what direction an artist should go, and I, I see no well, problem. I mean, it's not like, you know, we're National Geographic and we can't touch, you know, when the tiger is going to chase the, uh, you know, the, the poor animal and it's going to upset the ecosystem. Why not make some recommendations? Do you have one then? Well, I think I made them. I said, yes. you know... Stir it up. Stir it, it up. up. Mix yes. it up. Get, get, remove that initial grit and then see what happens. Mix up that initial grit and then dance around that and see how it goes. There's, right. something, that, there's something really beautiful about her doing the same thing over and over again, though, and I just... To me, in my mind, I just, because these works keep talking to each other, um, kind of see that there's something happening that's the same as Amy Cutler's women doing this, these tasks. And in a, lot, in, a, in a weird content way, I think a lot that the works do the same thing. Those, those two artists are kind of getting at the same issue on some level. So it makes me like them more. Yeah, you know, I mean... Um just to draw an analogy with music, you, when you have Paganini, um, he'll take one tune and give you 21 variations, and each one is a completely different piece of music. If you go back a couple of centuries before to, say, John Dowland taking one, uh, one lament in Lacrimae, tiny fragmentary change from, from piece to piece. Now, to somebody who's, who only really likes Paganini, they say, oh, my God, how boring. It's the same piece over and over again. But to someone who's in the Baroque, uh, and, and, and adores uh, Dowland, or it's pre-Baroque, the Renaissance, and, and, and loves Dowland, they might think the Paganini variation's a little vulgar. So I just think we have to, with each artist, um, the artist deserves that we adjust our expectations to their own scale of, of, of um, variation. And I think within her own scale of variation, uh, Melissa Myers, like, there's almost a paradigm shift in these works. And so to, to hear someone say, oh, well, she does one thing, she does it over and over again, that, that's nice, I like that. I find that um, disconcerting in relation to her work. I see some more hands up. Yes. I ha was going to say something similar in that just having seen Melissa do a presentation at the uh, studio school, um, when you're in the mode of looking at her work, you see these radical changes uh, over a period of the last uh, 20 and 30 years. And I think David's point about each artist and looking at them um, going into that world so that you can, in Melissa's case, kind of slow down and speed up at the same time. And that those are kind of the changes that I have seen over the years in her work is that there are times when you go into a very quiet mode with her, and there are times when the action really picks up. And and I think it is subtle, and I think that this is a, a hard thing about, um, the lovely thing about showing work consistently in New York City is fabulous, and the hard thing about it is that expectation for change with every show, and what is our expectation 
for an artist's exploration. Well, I, I, let me say, you know, I came into this show not comparing it to other shows. I know you have a long history looking at this. I read some of the essays you've written. Very good. I think there can be change even within the work, each work itself. You know, you have a pattern in the work going across, back down the other way. And to see more variation even within that, I think, would be more interesting to me. You have your theme, then you have your variation right there. Mm -hmm. Right. Gentlemen there, you still want to mention? Yes. Um, I've seen a lot of her work over the years, and um, I had found this show to be very interesting because I think she was saying more with less in some of those paintings in the back. I did think those three paintings in the gallery were three of the more wonderful paintings I've ever seen of hers. I think that it does have depth, even though it's flat, and even though the abstraction is flat, I thought that the, um, the sense of the uh, light emanating from the back uh, with the grid on top was really beautiful, but was rendered um, very lightly in, in almost a joyful way in this show. And I think that that is um, a progression uh, since the last couple of shows. But I also wanted to make a point about how most human beings, I think, look at a work. They look at the work and they see what it's doing for you right then and there. And they don't look at it as a show. And I know you folks, as a critic, looking at how an artist is putting together his or her work over the last two years might say, this is working, or this is all the same. And what's interesting is when you see these artists and talk to them, you realize how hard they're working on that particular work. And if you look at each one separately, if you look at the piece, for example, of Melissa's at the back, and you see the color tonal shifts, and you see the amount that she creates with certain gestures that are consistent, like you were talking about with jazz, there's a lot of complexity that's happening in each painting. And the, and the gradations from painting to painting or from show to show really are large. And so throwing a, a number or, uh, or text, you know, her calligraphy is her text. It's like saying to Cy Twombly, you really ought to put more numbers in there because the scribbles are not saying enough. This is the language she's using. And um, I don't know, I'm a friend of hers, so I, 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 you know, I wanna say I'm a friend of hers, but I yeah. also think that as I look at her paintings, I'm often transported because the final point I wanted to make was, I have a hard time understanding where decoration ends and where like transcendent beauty begins. Mm -hmm. And this decorative concept can be very problematic and confusing to someone who, when they look at a piece of art, has a nice feeling about it. Right. And I thought if you could address that a little bit, I'd appreciate well, it. Well, I think you've addressed it for us, and we, we, we could and should address it. And uh, if I was Melissa Meyer, I'd want you as a friend. So <laughs> thank, thank, you, thank, you for, thank you for articulating what I, uh, good thoughts that I happen to agree with. Um, let's, let's turn our last uh, moments of attention to uh, uh, Michelle Lopez. Um, anybody have some thoughts and comments? Yes. Uh, a future review panelist, Anthony Hayden Guest. I, I went to the Michelle Lopez show and I w walked in after about 
90 seconds, I said, this stuff looks way too good. And when stuff made out of industrial materials and treated with ruthless techniques looks ravishingly elegant, you know that shock is the part of this particular part of the battlefield. Anybody else like to comment on, on, on Lopez? And, uh, um, or shall we go out into the battlefield of this uh, Friday night and see if Halloween has any shocks for us? Thank you very much, everybody. And And, and see you in a mere three weeks uh, as our pre-Thanksgiving November 18th review panel.